0: Welcome to the Leadership File, your weekly show inspiring you to lead for Christ wherever you are. I'm Andy Peck, your host, thanking you for joining us. Whether you are listening live or one of the many thousands who listen via the podcast, it's great to have you along. If you're new to the show, a reminder that the show is available on demand via premierradio.com or via iTunes or Podbean. My aim with the shows is to provide a look at knowledge, skills, and attitudes necessary. ...for a Christian to lead so that God's work is advanced. So do continue to join us each week and see your leadership flourish under God's hand. To celebrate 700 shows, I have selected the best six shows from the archives for you. And the second in this series is my conversation with Dallas Willard. Dallas went to be with the Lord in May 2013. A one-time Baptist minister, Dallas served as Professor of Philosophy at the University of Southern California... He's best known in the UK through his books, especially The Divine Conspiracy and Renovation of the Heart. Many Christian leaders have found his approach to discipleship transformational. Our conversation, held in 2010, focused on his book, Personal Religion, Public Reality? Towards a knowledge of faith. The Leadership File, on Premier. I'm joined this week by a Christian writer and thinker whose books have had a significant impact upon leaders who are looking for an authentic faith based on scripture and open to the Holy Spirit. Books such as Divine Conspiracy and The Renovation of the Heart have helped pastors and leaders appreciate the work of the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached. His name is Dallas Willard. He currently serves as the Professor of Philosophy at the University of Southern California. He's a one-time Baptist minister and he's in the UK promoting his book Personal Religion, Public Reality? Towards the Knowledge of Faith. So, Dallas, uh, welcome to The Leadership File. Thank you. Um, First of all, what what led you to write the book?
1: Well, what led me to write the book was uh, a very deep problem in contemporary society, and that is the idea that when you speak of the truths of the Christian faith, and when you speak of the path you walk as a Christian and a disciple, you do not have knowledge to rely on that knowledge is secular and anything that is of God or of the Holy Spirit or of the human soul is not in the area of knowledge but in the area of something called faith. And these have been renegotiated over the last 100 years so that uh, faith is not uh, based on knowledge and doesn't incorporate knowledge. And so then the question is what in the world is it? And uh, the answer that most people will give you is uh, it's an irrational leap. And that's what the book is really about is uh, showing first of all that this has happened and that as uh, as pastors and leaders and just as simple Christians we're up against this assumption uh, and and uh, and that it is not true and that knowledge applies to the basic truths of the Christian faith uh, of course Christians everything they think they know they don't necessarily know uh, but the central truths are subjects of knowledge for, for anyone who will, reach for them and understand that that is what they are. That changes entirely the atmosphere in which one lives and in which one deals with others. Because if you just take faith as it is currently understood, it dismisses reality and says you're just running on what's inside of you. And so the idea of personal religion becomes dominant and the idea that religion is essentially personal and it can't be anything public because it's just your stuff. And so Christians have kind of allowed this to happen in part? They have allowed it and in some respects have encouraged it because when you the history of it goes back into the 1800s and what we might call the theologically left group have actually encouraged the idea that uh, faith is, is not something that can come in conflict with knowledge and that was a defensive move that they made but gradually that meant that faith disappeared, actually. You still talk about it. But faith without knowledge is nothing, it doesn't work. If you have knowledge to base your faith on, it's tremendous. And of course the biblical model when you when you read it with this in mind is faith environed in knowledge not faith sort of supporting itself somehow and you know on the on the theological right also faith became associated with grace and w- knowledge with works Nothing of that in the scripture, but that's the way it turned out, and uh, so there's been a long story, and you know, history moves very subtly, and people don't actually understand what has happened sometimes, and uh, so the book is designed to pull out where we are right now and address the issue of returning knowledge to faith. In the book, you talk about the four uh, worldview
0: questions that yes. uh, every religion has to answer, and of course everyone, mm-hmm. every person mm-hmm. has
1: to answer. Um, maybe you could outline them. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and it's important to say that while we call these worldview questions, everyone answers them if only by their behavior. And those four questions are what is real, what actually exists. And that's the question of what you can count on, and what you're going to have to deal with. And then the question, who is genuinely well-off? If you wish, who has the good life? And then the question, who is a really good person? Uh, And uh, that's probably deeper than the previous one because people are deeply concerned to be at least thought of as good persons. And then the final question is, how do you become a good person? And those questions obsess human beings and govern everything they do. Uh, The assumption as to what is real Uh, determines how you're going to spend your day, what you're going to be concerned about, what you can count on to accomplish your purposes. And uh, especially the great question, are you the one in charge or is God in charge? What are your resources, just your natural abilities? Or do you actually have God working with you to accomplish things you can't even imagine accomplishing on your own? Uh, So that, that question is big if you get up in the morning Morning, and it's big. If you stay in bed, you're still dealing with that question. And essential um, uh, to your to this book
0: and to many of your other books is is your understanding of uh, Jesus's teaching and, mm-hmm. and the kingdom of God, uh, particularly, mm-hmm. and and how it is that that kind of, if you like, the normal Christian, can can grow in their understanding of Jesus and to be transformed. Right. Could you say a little bit about your your understanding of the, of the kingdom of God and, yes. and the nature of the spiritual
1: life? Well, uh, the, the basic message of Jesus is an invitation to live with him in the kingdom of God now. And, uh, of course, there are issues about the afterlife, but those more or less take care of themselves if you get this life straight. And in this life, we are invited to depend upon God's action all around us. And the kingdom of God is actually just God in action. And that manifests itself in various ways, uh, but primarily it manifests itself in His action with us as we open our lives to His presence and expect Him to be there. Now, in order to do that, you have to learn from Jesus Christ, and so you become his disciple. And he teaches you how to do that, not just on religious moments, and indeed not just in moral moments, though those are absolutely important, and uh, if you don't solve those problems, you don't solve anything else. But in all of your undertakings, uh, the manifestation of the kingdom with you is perhaps most important in your work. Your work is where you spend most of your time. And so if God's not going to be with you there, something is going to be lacking. Discipleship is more than any other place applied to how we spend our time in our work, whatever that may be. And of course, a lot of different dimensions of that it isn't necessarily just what you're paid for it's more like what you invest your efforts in to accomplish uh, now you want that to be with god and of course the biblical teachings are manifold in that respect One of my favorite references is the passage in um, Proverbs 3, where it says, uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't just trust your own understanding in everything you do. Acknowledge him, and he will smooth your paths. That is, he'll act with you. And you will be in the company of God in everything you do. Uh, So that's what we're really learning as disciples of Jesus. We're learning how to live our lives as he would live our lives if he were us. And uh, that, of course, is absolutely crucial. And then all the issues of uh, of uh, peace and joy and love, uh, steadfastness and goodness and so on, come in to that because now we, our character is transformed as we live in the presence of God. And that's a big jump for many people. Uh, I'm for, they can understand... Yes
0: living like Jesus if they're a minister or a missionary, but Mm -hmm. as a hairdresser or a taxi driver or an accountant. Mm -hmm. It seems much harder.
1: Well, it is. uh, It seems that way. Actually, it's the easy way to live. Uh, But we have this idea that somehow if God is especially interested in religious things, but you know god isn't even religious you could have god and no religion and religion and no god uh, so we we really need to separate out our thinking about this Gap between the religious life and the the rest of it. Uh, We have this idea of full-time Christian service, but I'm not sure what the other is. I mean, you take a vacation from God when you go to work, for example. Many people actually do because they've been taught that that isn't of special interest to God, but it's just um, the absolute uh, opposite of what we should understand, and that is that God is interested in being with us and made us to do everything that we do with him. And once we accept that and learn to walk with Jesus Christ in everything we do, then then his statement, um, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take your yoke, my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, that becomes reality. And it's... Uh, Uh, it's um, amazing how life is transformed once you understand that larry crab has a book which is wonderful title the pressure's off (laughs) that's what happens when you step into the kingdom of god and you learn how to be there with jesus christ the pressure's off
0: you're listening to the leadership file with me andy peck this week i'm joined by dallas willard the Professor of Philosophy at University of Southern California and author of Personal Religion, Public Reality, question mark Towards the Knowledge of Faith. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. This week I'm joined by Dallas Willard. He's in the country promoting his book, Personal Religion, Public Reality, question mark Towards the Knowledge of Faith. You, you outlined four practical steps into kingdom living in your book. Um, humility, uh, inward rightness... Constant receptivity to the presence and the unqualified obedience to Jesus. Yes, I'm, I'm not proposing we we unpack each of those, but um, uh, for, for some people, this 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 the concept of self-denial is is a stumbling block mm-hmm. because they they've understood it maybe in cultural terms Mm -hmm. things they're not allowed to do anymore Um, I know your approach is very different maybe you could
1: unpack a little bit on, on, on what it means to really learn from Jesus yes well you remember that he says actually you can't enter the kingdom unless you humble yourself and become like a little child and that's a part of the offloading of the world that we get just by existing and growing up in the world that's around us. Uh, and uh, humility among those steps, of course I put it first because it really is first. Uh, you learn how to depend on God and that's humility, is dependence, not, not the assumption that, that you can make this work on your own. The death, of, uh, death to self is primarily uh, the acceptance of that fact that you uh, you don't make it work on your own. So having your way, which is the way the self asserts its presence in our life, isn't a big thing. And then when you uh, when you turn to the what we sometimes call the disciplines of the spiritual life. Um, most of those are actually ways of taming this drive towards having our way. Even such a thing as simplicity, uh, as solitude and silence, primarily ways of shutting down the relentless drive to assert oneself, and, uh, and even in language to just uh, carry the day by one's own self-assertions. And uh, being silent is tremendous practice for allowing 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 your words to be few and full of salt and grace and to accomplish edification for those that hear as as, um, Ephesians 4 speaks about it. Uh, Death to self is the true path to fulfillment of self because the fulfillment of self refers to realizing what is good for you, not necessarily what you want. And desire is the great problem. The we use the English translations usually usually use uh, the the uh, kind of uh, uh, technicolor word lust to translate epithumia. We don't have good language to get the difference between desire as something that is trying to govern our lives, which is what the the scripture is dealing with when it talks about lust, and desire as desiring a drink of water, for example. I mean, very few people are obsessed with having a drink of water. (laughs) Uh, It's obsessive desire that is the problem. And the cross comes into Christian experience and reality by laying uh, a, a restraint on what we think we must have And uh, with that comes great peace and uh, you're then able to deal with anger and contempt and all the things that really hurt human life. Which of course is where Jesus starts his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is with anger and contempt because there's such terrible forces in human life. But where do they come from? Hmm. Anger comes from having your will crossed. And it doesn't matter how trivial it is. If you're not trained... Uh, by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, then when your will is crossed, you are pushing back, you're on the verge, if not over the verge of anger, uh, and you're ready to hurt someone, and probably with your tongue, if not your fist. And so it's really important to understand that central concept of death to self. Uh, And it is important also to understand that it isn't just negative. That's where many people have been wrongly instructed to think that it is just a matter of not doing things, but you really experience death to self. In any area of creativity where what is good is pulling you and what redemption in Christ does is bring you to the point that that's what's going on all the time and not just in special moments. The special moments remain very great, uh, a time of creativity where things are really being pulled by the good to be realized and not just I want it. It's the old I want it that has to be dealt with, the wanter. And I like to say, because I genuinely believe it, and and I think the scripture uh, teaches it, that God's purpose in our lives is to bring us to the point where he can trust us with power to do whatever we want. But of course, you know, you say that to me, well, don't you mean what he wants? Yes, but he wants us to want what he wants. And so our wanter is what has to have the work done, and that's the place of Christian growth. Moving a little, Dallas, if we may,
0: towards the end of the book, where you you, you look about, you talk about a new vision for what a pastor mm-hmm. does, uh, and I think this will be particularly uh, of, of interest to to listeners who are in kind of church leadership. Um, you say, for example, the pastor needs to have a vision for the world and not the church, and that Jesus does not urge his followers to start churches uh, as such. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could outline your understanding of. The role of the pastor, given what you've said in the book about uh, a vision for the kingdom.
1: Yes, that really. That's. F- the most important point of the book, practically, is the way the pastor, which I, I say, I don't want to define that narrowly, but sure. any person who is a spokesperson for Christ, but that would primarily be the people that we identify as pastors or perhaps leaders in some other uh, community respect. And what I'm saying there is what we have to bring to the world is knowledge of all the most important things in life. And if pastors don't bring that and bring it as knowledge, it will not be done. And that to to preach the gospel in our day is to stand as fountains of knowledge and truth and light in our communities. And to assume that, to presume it if you wish, to presume upon your place as a pastor. No one else has the position, the power, they don't have the content in their message to help people who are struggling and failing in a world of darkness the pastors, and they they need to understand that that is what we do when we stand to teach. We don't just try to get people to do things. Uh, and so often, that's the tacit idea, both in the mind of Christians and their leaders, is that the job of the leader is to get people to do things, and usually things they don't want to do. Uh, And uh, we need to understand that you provide knowledge. And you provide knowledge not only by word but by example and by the presence of the power in your own life. But that enables people then to understand where they are with reference to those four big questions and to live practically. And the world is desperately hungry for this. And a lot of the uh, what you see of communities kind of ignoring the church is because the spokespeople for the church have cornered themselves into irrelevance. The irrelevance of just thinking, well, I, I'm trying to make this little operation I have here in this building go instead of uh, in the world, in the wonderful words of John Wesley, the world is my parish. And uh, the people in my community, even though though they may not know me, I want to know them and speak to them and find ways of doing that. And uh, that is uh, important in our day because, frankly, other institutions, primarily the institutions of education, have taken the role of guiding humanity. And the results of that are very bleak because, frankly, our educational institutions have very little to say about those four great questions that have to guide life. And in fact, in some cases, they have pushed them away and or perhaps they're saying no one has answers to that. So that's where the pastor, in the generous sense that I'm using, it needs to stand up and presume upon God's power to enable him or her to stand in their community as sources of power and light. Uh, someone in America has uh, used this phrase uh... the jesus christ power and light company and that's really who we are and we need to accept that and uh, emphasize it jesus in his um, teaching says very little about leadership
0: as such he 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 talks about a different model for the disciples versus the the way the gentiles led is that because he's implied it when he's when he's training the twelve to, to grow in discipleship He, he implied, it's implied that that will mean leadership in due course
1: no, it, in, indeed it does and, and the whole idea of discipleship it presupposes leadership and his word of course is follow me and then Paul's word is follow me as I follow Christ and the role of example in leadership is so much more important than anything else and we some from the idea that there there are special techniques of, of leadership and uh, you will hear people even take his fundamental teaching that if you want to be a leader then you're the servant of all uh, as a kind of suggestion that's a trick of leadership is being servant but it, it isn't a method it's the person who becomes the leader and uh, leadership in the in the kingdom of god uh, is above all that is God working with you and in order to have God working with you you have to have the dependence upon him and the expectation that he's going to do the work and that you're not up there, uh, out front there making it all happen. Uh, Because if you get in that position, it will burn you out and you will fail because you're not the one who makes it happen. It is God who does the work. So how do you get in that position? Precisely as Jesus said, you become the servant of everyone. But that is not a little technique that you use. That's who you are. You have to really be the servant of everyone and then God works with you and as he sees fit puts you in positions of leadership where others see and hear you and follow who you are and what you're saying and uh, this um, this idea that the church is is, is an operation that human beings have to figure out how to run is just fundamentally wrong what we have to figure out how to do is to live in the presence of God with an audience of one and let God work around us and then he will give us a gentleness of spirit profundity of wisdom all of the things that we need to accomplish the task that he set for us
0: you, uh,
1: many people have made the move from me.
0: the academic world maybe to, to pastoral ministry you've you've made the move mm-hmm. uh, as a, previously mm-hmm. as a pastor to, to work in a in a Secular University, he is a professor of philosophy, um, and, and that would be an encouragement for some of our listeners who are leading in a quite mm-hmm. secular world and perhaps mm-hmm. aren't always valued for that. I wonder yeah. If you could say a few words about well, uh, walking with Christ in that sort of role.
1: Yes, I think that's very important. I I do need to say I never intended to do that, but the Lord seemed to lead that way. Uh, My intention had been to be uh, a minister in a fairly traditional sense. Uh, But uh, through uh, various events, God led me into this. Uh, And what I have come to realize is there is no such thing as the secular world. See, that's, again, that's a part of the deceptiveness of historical developments that have led in that direction. A secular world would be a world without God. Now, the people, like I often quasi-humorously jest with people around the universities, mine and others, uh, and ask them now, do you think reality is secular? and of course that's a different perspective on it and uh, and then i ask them have you want to have your secular university has your university proven secularity uh, or it may turn out that reality is actually not secular. Uh, and if that happened, wouldn't we have made a considerable mistake? It is all sacred because God made it with the intent and He's willing to be with us wherever we are. People often say, Isn't it wonderful that you're there as a witness to Christ? Well, I will be a witness. If not to Christ, to something else. Right. Uh, But that's not my first intention. My first intention is to do good work. And uh, in doing that, then you have uh, many opportunities to talk to people and explain what's going on with you. And uh, so wherever we are... Uh, And I I want to emphasize again, the academic world is especially important for people to be there as Christ's men and women in that particular place. But wherever you are, uh, it's simply a matter of um, that verse again from Proverbs, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll be with you. And it will not be a secular place anymore. And those who are pushing for secularity will have something to deal with because now you have a person who's driving a truck or whatever they're doing and they're doing it with God and that's the key idea
0: well, Dallas, it's, it's terrific to chat with you. Sadly, time has gone, but uh, thank you so much for thank you. your wisdom and your insight. You've been listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by uh, Dallas Willard. Um, his book, uh, Personal Religion, Public Reality, uh, question mark at the end, Towards a Knowledge of Faith, uh, is published by Hodder and Stoughton. Uh, do get a copy. It will um, enrich your uh, understanding of your faith and of, of life with God. Uh, do log on to Premier's own website, www.premier.org.uk, and listen to archived versions of a Leadership File, including this one, in due course. I look forward to welcoming you again to a Leadership File in the near future. Thanks for listening. This is Andy Peck thanking you for joining us for this six-part series. You can find all the regular archive material by going to the Leadership File podcast on premierradio.com or iTunes or Podbean. You can email me, your comments at apeck at cwr.org.uk. The show broadcasts every week at 3.30 and I look forward to your company next week for the next show in the series, this time with Will van der Hart.